It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jared Halpern. When a crisis strikes, like a major hurricane making landfall, politics stops at the water's edge. We saw that on display this past week as President Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, potential political opponents next year, coordinated federal and state resources. President Biden also put politics aside to comment on his former longtime colleague, Mitch McConnell. I spoke to Mitch. He's a friend. Uh, um, and I, uh, I, I spoke to him uh, uh, today, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, he was his old self on the telephone. Uh, and uh, having um, a little understanding of uh, dealing with uh, neurosurgeons and people, and one of the leading women in my staff, her husband's a neurosurgeon as well, it's not un- at all unusual to have the response that sometimes happens to Mitch when you've had a severe concussion. It's part of a. It's part of the recovery, and so I'm confident he's going to be back to his old self. For the second time in as many months, the Senate's top Republican froze during a news conference with reporters. The congressional physician says it's a symptom of recovering from a concussion and cleared the 81-year-old to resume a full schedule. Shannon Bream, the host of Fox News Sunday, recently joined us to go deeper on these stories and a few other topics. We made edits for time and thought you might like to hear our entire conversation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now, here is Shannon Bream on the Fox News Rundown Extra. All right, so let's start with with this storm, right, and and sort of this federal response to to this and to uh, the wildfires. You know, I was struck yesterday by President Biden. He was asked, uh, you know, how have your conversations gone with Governor DeSantis? The two of you may have to run against each other. And, you know, the president was pretty quick to say, we don't talk about politics in a moment like this. Um, I thought that was important for Americans to hear. And I do think it speaks to kind of how government really moves in one direction for the most part when these uh, events happen. What are you hearing about sort of the performance of Governor DeSantis and the federal response to Adalia? Yes. So Florida gets very used to dealing with these kinds of storms. So any governor knows you have to have assets pre-prepared. DeSantis talked about that. Like, listen, this is not our first rodeo. We know we've got to have the linemen, the trucks, the, you know, resources in the places we think are going to be worst hit. Um, And that means setting aside the money and planning for these kinds of things, which um, they have done. So it sounds like the state was prepared. It's always, like you said, I think reassuring to know that in moments of crisis, it's not going to be about politics. You think about um, Superstorm Sandy and Mm -hmm. Governor Christie and President Obama and how much ribbing they've both taken and criticism over, you know, you were hugging at the moment of, you know, in the middle of a presidential election. Um, You know, Governor Christie would be the first one to say, listen, for the people in my state, I'm going to do what I need to do. And in that moment is you forget politics, you think about the desperate needs of your people. And so Mm -hmm. always reassuring to hear that uh, the president, in this case, President Biden, in this case, the governor's governor, DeSantis, are doing things the way that is most beneficial for people in in desperate need. Well, and for Governor DeSantis, it does mean having to leave the campaign trail at a time when, um, you know, most candidates don't want to do that. 
Yeah, but I think that there's also this calculation that I, I think, first of all, I, I genuinely think any governor out there is going to want to be at home and do what's yeah, right. Yeah, I for think their any people. governor makes that decision. I agree. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think you got to do that. But I think also it gives him a chance to show people that he's governing, you know, to show like, this is still my day job. This is what I do. He talks a lot on the campaign trail about the fact that he got all these things done in legislative session. Well, people will say we had super majorities in the House, but this gives him a chance to say, like, listen, in moments of crisis, I have planned things out. I've got the resources in place. I'm calm, cool, and collected. And this is me doing my job. I mean, if anything, some of those images and press conferences and press coverage probably are more helpful to him at this moment than being at a diner somewhere, um, meeting with folks. who That's a very important part of the campaign process, too. But this gives potential voters out there who maybe have now started paying more attention because they've had that first debate. Kids are back in school. Summer's over. Um, to see him actually doing what he does and what he you know, argues he would be the best at doing at the federal level. Let's talk about another governor, um, Governor Kathy Hochul of New York, uh, mm-hmm. here at the White House this week, um, talking to the administration about the crisis going on in her state and in New York City over how to house and shelter these migrants. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about, obviously, the back and forth between more red states and, and the Biden administration on the immigration issue. But now you are starting to see real concern from Democrats and not just Kathy Hochul, but certainly the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, has been pretty uh, blunt in his assessment of the Biden administration. Um, what does that tell you about how that issue is now developing? And does that change perhaps the response or change the strategy for the Biden administration? Well, it's been interesting that there are all along have been Democrats. You've talked to them. I've talked to them mm-hmm. who are in these border states and communities who have long said, I think of Congressman Henry Cuellar, one of the loudest voices, a Democrat out of Texas saying, mm-hmm. we need help. This is not a partisan issue. This is something everybody has to get together and solve. The president has to take a very strong lead on this. We need to hear more from the White House. I mean, you hear that um, from people like Senator Sinema, who's now become independent, mm-hmm. but but other you know Democrat lawmakers as well saying um, this is bad and people who are living with the reality of it calling out the White House. So there was a ton of criticism from people, um, you know, for Governor Abbott and for Governor DeSantis and others who were sending people coming across their borders illegally to other states and places. Um, And you can criticize that all day um, because these are humans. These are families. These are real people. But what it has done is shift the conversation for many of these blue areas that say we're sanctuary states, we're sanctuary cities, we will take people when the reality of it shows up um, and overwhelms the resources they have, whether it's, you know, to house people, to put them in schools or whatever they need to do to meet these people where they are. um, Then those voices turn on the administration. And so you're right to hear from both Mayor Eric. Adams and from Governor Hochul up there. Um, It sounds like that meeting she had at the White House was um, very serious, may have been very tense behind those closed doors, because, you know, now that they're going to flood federal assets into New York to help with what's going on there, um, it certainly gives more life to the conversation. And you're not just it's not just um, easily thrown away. Oh, oh, these are partisan red state talking points against the government, um, against the feds. It's blue staters, too. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. And listen, you talk about those buses and and migrants sent up there, but this problem is not about. I mean, there's been 
59, there are 59,000 asylum seekers in New York City right now. Those did not all come on a bus from Texas or Florida. There have right. been 107,000 asylum seekers that have come through the city's intake system uh, since uh, just last spring, according to, to city officials. So this is something that certainly uh, has been building for a long time. It sounds like what Hochul is asking for is an expedited process to, one, sort of work its way through these asylum claims, and mm-hmm. two— expedite a way to get work permits for a lot of these mm-hmm. migrants. The, the thought being, if they are allowed to legally work, they won't need to stay in city and state shelters. Um, mm-hmm. How much discretion does the administration have on those two issues without Congress getting involved? Well, you think about the fact that you and I cover the Supreme Court, too, and there have been some really contentious cases mm-hmm. over there it, the last few years. I think about Arizona and and how the state there was trying to take more control of the immigration um, process because they felt like the feds weren't doing it. And, um, you know, so you, you do have those intersections of what the executive branch is doing, the legislative branch, what these states can do with respect to immigration. It's really a federal policy issue. So. You know, if anybody could expedite some of these claims, it would have to happen at the federal level, which is why it sounds like, according to what she's saying in the reporting, that the, you know, DHS officials and others are going to be sent into New York to help process some of these claims and get things done. Um, Because as you note, I mean, she's arguing if we can give people the ability to start working, I think the vast majority of these folks want that. They want to be self-sufficient. Many of them are coming to the U.S. because there are such dire economic situations back home where they can't provide for their families and they don't have any hope. I think the vast majority of these folks will be happy to come here and start working. But there's red tape and employers will get in trouble if they take them in and and put them on payrolls or try to pay them in cash or anything else. So, I mean, her pressing to get these people the availability um, to have work permits and, and to fold into society in a way that then takes the burden off of state and federal governments seems to make a lot of sense. But that is going to have to be a federal processing issue. And asylum is a whole different um, right. law. And, you know, when you were seeking asylum in the United States, you, you have to prove some some things that sometimes are challenging to prove. Right. Basically, that, that if you return to your country of origin, um, your life is in danger from from persecution or, or uh, you know, threatened. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty high bar that, that asylum mm-hmm. seekers have to meet, at least as the law is written, is, is my understanding. Yeah. And so a lot of people who come here, we know that a lot of um, these cases don't end up in them getting asylum. But, Mm. you know, there have been conversations in different administrations about what would qualify, what kinds of persecution would qualify. And it is a pretty tight definition, although there have been some efforts at expanding those boundaries and bringing in other protected classes and different people. Um, But the fact is, it takes a long time and you could be stuck here for years w- mm-hmm. before you get a yes or a no. And so that's yeah. time that um, you're depending on someone else when you may want to be working and taking care of your own family. And so that's the, where the issue of, of perhaps expediting the work uh, visa or, or the work um, uh, allowance w- would come into play. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and, if, and, and I think when we have, you know, what, 10 million open jobs in this country, a lot of people would argue, um, you know, these folks are coming here and willing to work and desperate for work. Um, there's got to be a better way to make a match with some of those um, equations. 
Well, listen, immigration has been an issue in this country for a very long time. Uh, and to your point, it is interesting now to see this conversation shift a little bit, not just between the Biden administration and sort of southern red states, but the Biden administration in, in traditionally blue states, Governor Hochul and, and others now pleading with the administration for additional resources. So let's talk a little bit, too, about the, the story that developed uh, late this week um, with the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell. Um, we saw him. Last month, have a little bit of a health scare um, where he had that pause. Some people called it like a freeze during a news conference. He'd left. He came back. He finished the news conference, had uh, sort of a more mild episode that looked very similar to that this week. Um, Listen, he is, I believe, 81 years old. Um, There have been calls that maybe it's time for... You know, Congress to do a better job of figuring out when you've maybe, you know, stayed longer than you should. Um, do you expect that that conversation to sort of increase now with, with what we saw with, with uh, Senator McConnell? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because now both parties are having to have these conversations yeah. that are very tricky and delicate. You've got long-serving, very well-respected senators like McConnell, like Feinstein, who've contributed immensely to their parties over the years and have been master tacticians and have blocked judges and gotten judges passed and blocked legislation and gotten legislation passed. I mean, these are people that the parties are going to be very hesitant to say, hey, it's your time to go. Um, With Senator Feinstein, especially because for them to lose that post on the Senate Judiciary Committee would be really Mm -hmm. difficult for the Democrats um, in trying to get judges moved for President Biden. So, you know, I mean, Mitch McConnell's been a master tactician and strategist for decades over in the Senate. So um, hard conversations for both parties. I do think it's fascinating that when you go and look in Kentucky, what would happen if there is a vacancy of a U.S. senator you know, they amended their state law not long ago. And so it doesn't just fall to the um, governor. It now has a different process in which um, the Republicans there would be able to put together a series of names that the governor would then have to choose from. So um, hmm. it just opens up all kinds of other conversations. His his McConnell's team says he's fine. He's going to be reviewed yep. by his doctor. He fully intends to serve out his full, um, you know, Senate um, term, and we'll see if he decides to run for re-election. But um, both of those recent incidents sparking, you know, some pretty deep conversations in D.C. And even if if McConnell weren't, say, to step down from his Senate seat, that there have been questions about does he maybe give up that leadership post that he has mm-hmm. had um, for for a really long time? I think the record. I think he's now the longest serving Senate leader um, for for either. I party. mean, yeah, that would. You got to think about the impact, the psychological change, you know, for mm-hmm. everybody, too, of thinking about where does that go, you know, to a Cornyn or a Thune or, you know, remember the fight there was yeah. over his last vote. Does a Rick Scott or somebody step up? I mean, you have to right. um, know that there got to be some really intense conversations going on within GOP leadership yeah. because, you know, in Feinstein's case, she holds a very important committee position, but she's not leading the entire party in the Senate for Democrats. And, Sorry. you know, obviously Mitch McConnell's a different conversation. Yeah. And listen, that, that's an important position as we think about the, the issues that are in front of Congress now with spending and things like that. I also wonder, you know, how this conversation, uh, if it is being had at least behind closed doors or maybe in more open doors, we've certainly seen some criticism from some Republicans about um, the way that this is being handled. Um you know, we're about to have, you know, a conversation in this country about certainly President Biden's age, if President Trump is renominated his age. And a lot of Republicans running for president are starting to talk about age in a way that maybe they weren't 
earlier in the campaign. Do you think that's going to be something we continue to hear from from some of these younger uh, Republican presidential hopefuls? Yeah, you think about Vivek Ramaswamy, 38 years old, um, <laughs> and talking about how how he's kind of, you know, the first millennial to run for president. First presidential candidate viewpoint. younger than me. So that's been fun for me to, to cover. <laughs> yeah, when that happens, <laughs> they're sort of like, oh, and then if a, a Supreme Court justice gets nominated that's younger than you, you're like, oh, I'm getting old now. Oh, no, that's going to be um, it. I got to hang it up then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely, you know, it changes the conversation. He understands how moments go viral. He understands mm-hmm. how to use social media. Um you know, even Nikki Haley has been out there like, hey, if we have people of a certain age, maybe they should have to do a cognitive test. I mean, it yeah. does spark different <laughs> conversations. Um, and it, listen, unless something changes and we have a rematch of 2020, you're going to have two candidates who are at or right around 80 yep. um, who would be, you know, among the oldest sworn in um, mm-hmm. on election or excuse me, inauguration on day. Inauguration so. Day, yeah. Um, the thing is, it's not like one party can talk about it and the other one can ignore it because they both have candidates who are up there. Yeah. And listen, it's it's an inter- it's gone a long way since. So uh, is it President Reagan's line that he wasn't going to let his opponents? Uh, he wasn't going to allow his, his, his youth and inexperience. <laughs> he was going to use an his youth in and inexperience used against him. Yeah. So, I mean, a classic. <laughs> You know, um, brilliant way as a great communicator to take control of the of the conversation and of the issue. And I think you do see um, President Biden making more jokes here and there. Um, about he does make a lot of jokes about how long guy. he's been in Washington. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't think you're going to see Trump doing that because I think for him, he's going to point to like, look at my energy level. Look what I'm doing. Look at the rallies sure. I'm holding. Look at the. I mean, he's going to have the most insane schedule of everyone facing you know, four different criminal trials, a number of civil cases as well, plus running for president. Any one of those things would be tough for the average person out there. Um, so it's going to be a real test of of his ability to keep that energy level up on all those fronts. Let's finish with this, because Congress, as you point out, the kids are back in school, summer's ending. And that means uh, August recess is nearing its end as well here in Washington. <laughs> few more days for parties over. few more days. Uh, but um You know, when Congress gets back, obviously, the spending issue is going to be, you know, I think probably priority one, right? They have to fund the government in pretty short order, whether or not that's a long term spending bill or a short term CR. We'll see how that plays out. But, you know, Speaker McCarthy is also going to start really hearing about it on moving forward with a decision on impeachment, impeachment inquiry, Mm -hmm. impeachment. you Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of committees that are doing their own investigations. Um, how do you see that playing out between now and, say, the end of the year? Um, as this pressure kind of builds and a lot of different competing uh, voices start start getting in the air of the speaker? Yeah, he's got a lot of cats to herd between now and the end of the year because you do have factions of the party who will say, why haven't we impeached Mayorkas? We've been talking that for, about right. that forever. Why aren't we moving forward? We feel like we have enough now to talk about the Biden family. Um, And then you have others in the party openly saying, let's not do this. It makes us look unserious. Mm -hmm. We criticize the Democrats for doing this. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of spending bills to get done there. I mean, think about the spending bills. Think about you and I cover the minutia of this. But all of those deals that the speaker made to become speaker after 15 votes, was it? Remind me. 15 rounds. Um, Yeah. So he's got all of those people to corral because there are those who say, listen, you made us specific promises so we would vote for you. And we're now seeing bills that are being drafted that don't line up with the contours of what we agreed to. Mm -hmm. So 
he's got some very heavy lifts. And, you know, when the speaker's approached about this, he seems to always have the attitude of like, hey, one day at a time, we can handle multiple things. I got this. You guys are more worried than I am. We'll see. Because it's a lot of very heavy lifting between now and Christmas. Yeah. And it, it, listen, I think the words matter a lot, too. Um, an impeachment inquiry, a little bit different, obviously, than impeachment hearings. And so perhaps there are kind of different avenues to go down. But you just wonder if it gets to the point where they'd launch something. This, I mean, we, we saw, for instance, during the impeachment of former President Trump, um, especially the second one following January 6th, it took a mm -hmm. long time for Congress to kind of recover from that and, and kind of get to the point mm -hmm. where they could pass any sort of bipartisan or must-pass legislation. Um, and I just wonder kind of what the environment would look like uh, with another impeachment for, for Congress. Yeah, because, you know, there inherently people are going to feel on one side or the other that it's a partisan thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you got to be able to show that, uh, listen, Republicans control the House. If they decide to go that path, I think that all the leadership wants to feel like they have all their ducks in a row. The research mm -hmm. is there. The witnesses are there that they don't now look like what they were accusing Republicans of three or, or Democrats of three or four mm -hmm. years ago. But as you mentioned, I mean, and we talked about all of these spending bills and other things that have to be handled, um, the split that seems to be developing over further Ukraine spending and all mm -hmm. kinds of things. FEMA is going to want yeah. You, you run the House. That means people are going to scrutinize what you're doing. If you don't get things done, but you seem to have time for an impeachment um, you know, inquiry, you're going to take heat over that. Whether it costs you in elections mm -hmm. next year, I don't know, because within the Republican Party, there's definitely... Um, there are differing opinions about whether or not it's time for impeachment, mm -hmm. what the impact would be on the party and whether they can manage that with governing. Um, and, you know, some will say we can do all of these things at the same time. Shannon Bream, always a, a pleasure to talk with you. Have a, uh, a good weekend. Thank you, Jared. You too. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.